0: the history of the future of space. I'm Tanya Hall and joining me is Dr. James Vetta, Senior Policy Analyst at the Aerospace Corporation. Welcome Jim.
1: Hi, thanks for having me on.
0: What does the Aerospace Corporation do?
1: Well, the Aerospace Corporation is a federally funded research and development center. It's called FFRDC, it's gotta have an acronym, right? It was started in 1960 Uh, to support the Air Force in its first ventures into space related uh, activities and uh, you can see on my shirt, we got this nice logo here that everybody thinks is the Avengers but actually it's ours we've had it since the, the beginning I think we had it first so we're not the Avengers we're the aerospace corporation so uh, what we do is uh, support government space programs of all kinds. As I mentioned, started out with the Air Force, but it's gone on to, to serve NASA and the NOAA weather satellites. Uh, and uh, just at any government space program you can imagine we're involved in. We also do some work for uh, commercial um, uh, operations as well. Uh, so we have very long uh, experience in doing mostly the the engineering, the technical side of it, uh, but I work in an office where we look at the policy aspects and uh, we're, I'm, I'm located in the, in the Washington area while our headquarters is in, in Los Angeles.
0: How would you break up the history of space exploration if you had to divide it into segments?
1: Well, one of the things that uh, is, is a clear line of demarcation is the end of the Cold War. Uh, things are very different now than they were before that, uh, that point. Uh, in, the, in the Cold War, most of the, the really big visible activity was the competition between two superpowers uh, vying for not only an advantage in national security, but also to win the hearts and minds of people around the world with their space efforts. So what we have in the years since the end of the Cold War is a situation in which you have lots more players than there used to be. Uh, We have uh, uh, just about every country in the world involved in space in some way. The, 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 the the, The world has about 200 countries in it, and only about, oh, I don't know, 10 or or so of those are able to launch payloads to orbit, but more than 60 of them have some kind of space agency and almost all of them use satellite communications and satellite weather weather monitoring and the navigation systems that we uh, use on orbit. So the the globe is tied together uh, by space technology Uh, And, uh, and there's more and more expertise proliferating uh, around the world these days.
0: If we define the golden age of space exploration as the time from the 1950s through the Apollo project, what would the space visionaries of that time think of our current progress in space exploration and commercialization? How close have we come to maybe achieving their vision?
1: Well, whenever you have a golden age of anything, it usually means the early years when a lot of stuff was happening really fast. And that's certainly true of the the first uh, decade or more of the uh, space age. But you get this illusion that this pace is going to continue. And a lot of the early visionaries saw it that way that if we continue at this pace, we will be able to do such and such by this time. Uh, but you're not going to continue at that pace. It's always a a rapid pace at the beginning where you hit all the low-hanging fruit, the things that can be done fast. Uh, And then the pace slows down a bit. And that's exactly what happened in the post-Apollo era. So a lot of the ambitions of the early visionaries of the 50s and 60s and even into the 70s thought that we would maintain such a pace that by now we would have cities on the moon, we would have large manufacturing facilities in Earth orbit. We would have at least some kind of outpost on Mars, uh, that uh, we would have very active space tourism. You know? So those things are not happening as fast as had been predicted. The question you have to ask yourself is, whether, is it, whether it's the speed that really matters or the steady progress towards, some type of value generating goal. And in fact, maybe doing it right is more important than doing it fast.
0: Our monumental successes in space have been punctuated by a few catastrophic failures that resulted in loss of human life. What did the golden age of visionaries think about life safety risk and trade-offs as we moved off our home planet?
1: Well, they had to learn a lot about what constituted safety in spaceflight, and it it was quite a learning curve. But they were coming from an era in which we had things like test pilots, the story you've seen in The Right Stuff, where there was an expectation of the danger, the risk of doing this, and the recognition that you were going to lose some human lives along the way. Any type of experimentation or exploration is going to have that risk when uh, John Glenn first made his space flight uh, and orbited in the Mercury spacecraft, one of the experiments that he did was eating solid food because there was a question at that time about whether humans could properly ingest food, have it go down to their stomach in a zero gravity situation and digest properly. And thankfully John Glenn found out that, yes, you can eat in space. Uh, so it was that basic at the beginning. Uh, there have been a lot of things since then uh, to, to try and uh, judge how we can handle radiation environments in space, and uh, how we can handle the loss of bone mass that occurs in long duration and uh, uh, habitation of microgravity situations. So we're still learning more about that, and there's still risk. Uh, so uh, so that, that recognition is there. the The expectation of safety by those who are the practitioners of space travel versus the public that's observing it, I'm sure is quite different because the public is expecting something that, well, by now should be just as safe as traveling on a commercial airliner. But we're not there yet.
0: In another fifty years, a space journalist and a senior space policy analyst may meet via hologram to discuss human space accomplishments of the twenty-first century. What do you think they'll discuss?
1: Oh boy, how much time have you got? Uh, <laughs> there, I think there would be a, a lot of accomplishments to to discuss. We, by that time, we should be learning to live and work in space by living off the land, in other words, using space resources instead of hauling everything up uh, from the Earth. That in itself is a very important thing. Uh, we will be providing additional services to the Earth using our space technology. And one of those that I think will be uh, coming into play by that time will be solar power satellites. In other words, gathering large amounts of solar energy in space, beaming into Earth either by microwave or laser so that it can serve specific markets of large users, uh, such as large industrial facilities or high-speed electric uh, transport, uh, or actually feeding the power grid. Uh, So that's something that's been contemplated for more than 50 years now, and the technologies are starting to come into play to make that a reality. So that, I think, is going to be something that will will emerge uh, in, in a 50-year time frame. Uh, so I think power sources in general are a, a real driver for whatever we do on Earth or in space. And that's one of the things that's going to evolve very substantially.
0: Dr. James A. Veda, Senior Policy Analyst at the Aerospace Corporation, Thanks again for joining us, Jim. If somebody wants to connect with you, maybe they want to find out more about the work that you do. How can they do that?
1: Well, we have a website at our company that you can access for the type of work that I do, the policy-related work and lots of free papers to download at aerospace.org slash policy. Just go there and investigate all the things we have to offer and it's and it's all free. I'm also on, on LinkedIn. So those are places where you can find uh, my work and and find me.
0: And find more of my interviews right here or on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube or at Tonyahall.net. Thanks for watching.